2: Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hi
3: there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply. Because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hi, I'm Laura Wasser and this is All's Fair.
4: I'm Johnny Raines, the chief content officer at It's Over Easy. Welcome to the show. Today's show is about the future. And with the presidential election just a few weeks away, Laura, frankly, I'm a bit nervous about what is ahead of us. But what's the worst that can happen?
3: The worst that can happen? Yeah. The worst that can happen is (laughs) already happening. It can continue to happen, which I think is not a good idea. I think we need to feel really good about whatever decisions we're making as we near uh, voting day and get out there and do something about it. I know that there was a New York Times article that you shared with me. It's 8 p.m. on Election Day. Experts share nightmare scenarios. So talking about the worst that can happen. Tell us what this article said. (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, they're actually false nightmare scenarios that could happen. So um, they basically talk about everything from you know fake videos on social media to weird sort of things happening to people's email accounts and what people can do to protect against that.
3: Remember when it was about to be Y2k when we were all yeah, worried right. about when like what would happen, the computers were gonna stop, whatever. That's what's going to happen if Trump gets elected again. All right. There's, so, there's a lot of stuff we, in
4: here, by the way, that about the, what the Chinese and the Russians might do. And they, they do make some good points about ways that our institutions, the social media companies, and even just general news consumers can protect themselves against some of these things happening. So I highly recommend it. Who wrote it? This was a collection of sort of worst case scenarios by a variety of experts. It's in the New York Times. And uh, some of the people that wrote some of the nightmare scenarios include Chris Painter, who was the top cybersecurity diplomat for the US State Department from 2011 to 2017. Also, Alex Stamos and Renee DiResta are the director and research manager of the Stanford Internet Observatory. They write a nightmare scenario about disinformation from within. So it's, it's fascinating.
3: As if the pandemic and the summer of demonstrations against racism and social injustice were not already straining our relationships, now politics and the ideological divide in our country is coming to a head. What the future holds and who will be our next president are uncertain. And whether it's this uncertainty or something else, I've observed that the upcoming election is definitely affecting people personally and in their relationships with partners, colleagues, even family members. Whether you believe your vote counts or not, let me tell you, voting is vital because if you don't vote, you're abdicating your voice, forfeiting your right to complain. And you know how important it is to me that one is able to complain. I think everyone should reserve that right. And today I want you to meet someone who uses her voice and her iPhone to serve our country. She's the founder of News Not Noise, a fresh voice in the media that provides daily news reports on Instagram. She's also the former CNN chief White House correspondent and an Emmy and Gracie Award-winning political journalist and author. Her first novel, *Savage News*, about reporting while female, is available now from HarperCollins. It was awesome. I read it. Welcome to All Fair, my friend, Jessica Yellen.
5: Hey, hey Jess. You. Oh, hi. So good to be with you.
3: Yes, I'm psyched. I've been waiting for this for a long time. And and Jessica and I go back a long way. Our parents were friends. Like we're just we're homies. So, but because not everyone knows you like I do, tell our listeners a little bit about you, Jessica.
5: I guess I do this crazy thing, which is I report the news on social media right now to an audience that wants information, but not from one of the mainstream sources. And I ended up there in a really weird way, which is like you, I grew up in Los Angeles with a family that like cared about public service, cared about giving back. The whole thing was, you know, you can't just be a success professionally. You have to make a difference in the world. I thought I could do that by being a reporter. I still think you can do that by being a reporter. And I worked inside the system for a long time at CNN, ABC, MSNBC. And I just thought, well, there's a huge audience that we're not speaking to. And I kind of listened to my gut, didn't know what I was doing, but kind of made a change in my life and tried to find ways to address this audience. And sort of through a series of coincidences and maybe even accidents, ended up doing this thing on Instagram and it's kind of working. I love it. Give, give us like your stats. Like in 98, you started
3: your broadcast career. I'm Because I, I read the book and I also know you. So I remember when this was all kind of going down because it was somewhat autobiographical, this, this book and working within the system. But tell us about how you started, how you got into being a newscaster.
5: So, you know, my family was very political when I was growing up. And when I got out of college, the first thing I did was I got an internship at the White House and Bill Clinton was president then. So I was a White House intern in the Clinton years. Uh Oh. (laughs) by the way, Monica Lewinsky grew up here too and went to to my high school. Yeah, true, yes, in our community. And I always observed working in the White House that there were two things that could stop everyone cold in the room. One was the president himself walking into the room And the other was that one TV that was in the corner of every White House office that was always tuned to CNN, because remember, that was the only cable news channel then. And whenever that one TV was reporting on the White House, people would almost freeze and look. And I thought, oh, my gosh, those people have so much influence. And it always annoyed me that they weren't covering the thing that I thought was important, right? Like we were working on whatever legislation at the time, welfare reform, the crime bill or whatever, and they're reporting on some like haircut someone got or, you know, a helicopter picking someone up for personal use. And it wasn't just CNN. It was, you know, in general, TV ends up going to scandal. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to do that and focus on policy so that you can have real influence. Okay. I was young and naive. What did I know? So I decided that's what I'm going to do. And I figured out how do you get into the media? I came home quick, like long story short, I worked at LA Magazine as a print reporter. Someone told me print will die, go to TV. I made a fake tape. I marketed it all over the country. I got a gig in Orlando. I moved to Orlando where I was a one-man band reporter. I was also the only Jew anyone had met. It was super interesting. <laughs> uh,
3: There's like probably a whole chapter about blow drying that we could go into right now. Just about you know Jewish girls living in Florida and being on TV and what the fuck are we supposed to do about our hair? But anyway, I
5: digress as, as I'm known to do, yes. It was so bad. I actually ran into a friend who was working for Al Gore when I was a reporter in Orlando. And the first thing he said, he got me an interview with Gore, who was running for president. He walks and he goes, oh my God, your hair. <laughs> a, he's still my friend. He's like, your hair was so big in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, humidity. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay. So you're there. How long were you in Orlando for? 18 months in Orlando. And honestly, it was one of my best experiences in reporting because you just like learning things and soaking it up and having these amazing experiences. From there, I went to Tampa, which is a huge leap in markets. Like that's a much bigger market. I had my own camera person. There was an editor. I didn't have to do all the work myself. And I kept saying, I want to be a political reporter. I want to cover politics. So they let me cover the Senate race in the year 2000. And I went to Tallahassee in the year 2000. I was in Democratic Party headquarters. And can anyone remember what happened in the year 2000 in Florida? No. The recount broke out. Oh, right. The Chads. Uh Uh-huh. And so I'm there and they say Gore won, no Bush won, no Gore won, no Bush won. Oh my God go to the Secretary of State's office, and then the whole world converged on exactly where I was, Tallahassee. Wow. So for 35 days, I covered the recount, and that's when I really, all of a sudden, like, all my news heroes start showing up. There's Linda Douglas, there's Cokie Roberts, there's, like, all these news stars I've watched my whole life are there covering the same story, and I'm shoulder by shoulder with them. And I realized, oh, my God, I can do this. I can, like, cover the story with the bigs. So anyway, from there, I got to MSNBC. That was my big leap, but I used all that tape. Um, I worked the overnights, you know, did what had to be done. I then went to ABC. I worked the overnights and Good Morning America, so seven days a week. I'd work the weekends overnights and the mornings during the week. Tell tell the listeners what overnights are. I'd go to the office at like, I can't remember exactly, but 10 p.m. You go make makeup, and at 11, you'd be on standby alert which means if breaking news happens, you are ready and to go on air and break the news. But that meant you'd spend some nights just asleep on the couch with no news. How often did
3: that happen? That you just were in makeup all night and
5: you didn't ever get to go on the news? 90% of the time. Oh, my God. So, And we would practice all these funny drills. Like They'd call me and be like, breaking news, breaking news, a plane has crashed. And we'd run to the set. And you'd be sitting in Peter Jennings' chair at the time. Right. The time. Doing this Peter thing. Jennings was asleep, right? Oh. <laughs> right? That's why. And practiced these drills. And it was great training because when it actually happened that you're on air, it just felt like any other night. Right. When I was at MSNBC, we would do news updates every half hour and then breaking news when it happened. And those years, crazy stuff was happening. There was like miners who got caught underground and we had to go wall to wall. I remember. Yeah. Um, snipe- and there was 9-11. No. I wasn't there at nine eleven. I was in okay. Tampa for 9-11. But okay. there, was, there was a sniper in D.C. who was terrorizing everyone. And you'd be on wall-to-wall coverage for that. There was a Moscow... Th- I mean, breaking news is, as you know, all the time. So I had all this experience going on in the middle of the night. And it just trained me to be able to just talk and figure out how to keep coverage going even when you're just the only one up. Right, know? right. And then you get home at like... 7 or 8 a.m. and sleep during the day. I try to wake up and have some kind of life, which is very hard because you're exhausted. Right.
3: Uh, Probably not like feeling super sexy or romantic or, yeah. I mean,
5: the number of times I'd be on dates and be like, so wait, explain to me again why you can't meet me at 7? <laughs> and then you'd explain it and they're like, but I don't understand. Why are you doing that? Would you rather on to <laughs> date with me? And you're like, yes, but I have to do this. This is my job. It was weird.
3: Okay, so then, okay, you and then in
5: 2003, you joined ABC, yes? I went to ABC. That's when I did overnights for Peter Jennings, filling in, like, not for, that's when I right. would do overnights in case, you know, there's breaking news. And right. then I'd work at Good Morning America. And the thing I did is I would, you know, I was covering, at Good Morning America, I was a general assignment reporter. I'd cover whatever's happening, you know, tabloid crime or, you know, crazy celebrity stories. But I would always tell the management, I want to be White House correspondent. And they would be like, okay, but Martha Stewart's going to jail. So you're going to cover Martha Stewart going to jail. And I'd always say, amazing, energetic, happy. Like, this is my advice to younger people. Take the assignment. As long as it doesn't conflict with your integrity, take the assignment. Right. Kill it. Crush it. And then tell them what you ultimately want. And keep doing that, right? Do you find, by the way,
3: that young people are unwilling to do that these days? I mean, is there an entitlement? Like I remember when I was younger, people would go, oh, these kids, they just want to go straight to the top and da da. da And now I'm the old person going, guys, put in the hours. Like you don't just get to be Laura Wasser or Jessica Yellen. Like you need to actually put in your time. And like you said, do it with a smile on your face, please, because that's what's going to make me then want to put you as the White House correspondent (laughs) because I have that
5: power. That's That's my advice. I, I think it's target what your goal is, be clear about it, and then do the grunt work because you gotta put in that time as you're saying. I find that, you know, it's hard to make gross generalizations. But sometimes the weird thing is the kids who refuse to do the grunt work get to bypass it. So sometimes I wonder, were we the fools for doing
3: all right. the well, like the guy in the book who would just take his shirt off and they'd be like, you've got the assignment. Right. Well, I guess, I guess the flip side to that moral of that story is if you've got a really good six pack and <laughs> then you don't have to do the this grunt work. God, honey. <laughs>
1: right. Work the system.
3: True, <laughs> too. All right. So, so I have another question. So good morning, America. All of this stuff, really. But good morning, America in particular, not specific to when you were there. But generally speaking, I have to ask the morning show. Like you saw it and, and and your book came out at around the same time. Like it's so interesting to me how these things happened and being a woman and working in that world and wanting to be taken seriously, but still having to worry about blow drying and makeup. I mean, as they do, and then also somebody putting their hand on your ass or, you know, we're going to ha- go with him because he's more serious and he sounds smarter because he's a man. Tell us a little bit about that, because we have a lot of female listeners, and that is a huge question we've been talking about a lot throughout the podcast.
5: So I think The Morning Show was amazing for drawing out these issues. I don't think it's specific to any one program. I think it's sort of really a composite of so many people's experiences across the industry. Um, And I think it's a snapshot of a period in time where, you know, I grew up in a very feminist environment where my parents taught me you can be literally anything you want to be if you work really, 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 really hard. And that being smart wins. And I was a women's studies and American history major in college. So I believed in like just that I was feminist and awake and I was never going to have to deal with sexism. And then I entered institutions that were sexist. And that's not specific to any one place. It's in general. Right. I encountered, I think I was so shocked that I didn't actually know what was happening as it was happening. Do you know right. what I mean? Totally. I remember there's this one reporter who's much, much, much older than me who essentially wouldn't speak to me in the hallways at one place. And when I asked what was going on, one of my young male colleagues would say, "He, I think he doesn't talk to women. I think he resents that women are reporters here. Like the guy was being awake, right? And one day this same reporter walked by my office and it was that era when we all, I don't know, when I was sitting on an exercise ball, when everyone thought you had better posture if you sit on an exercise ball. Right. And he said to me, first words he says to me, practicing your Kegel exercises.
4: (laughs) Wow. And I was like. You're like, what did you say? Nice to meet
5: you. (laughs) And I was like 32 at the time. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think you can say that at work. And what did he say? He laughed and walked away.
3: Right. But it and, is. It's sometimes you're just so shocked that somebody would say something that you really don't necessarily. I mean, I think what you said is better than what some people would say. But it's just like, really, dude. And and he probably is not a bad guy. Right. He just grew up in an era like the guys that say, "You look so beautiful today," or "What a lovely blouse," or whatever. They don't know. I mean, they're learning, and again, they'll age out. But it is interesting to me that that was acceptable. A, not talking to you in the halls, and B, saying something so asinine.
5: And the t- totally. And the thing is, you. I remember the feeling of you kind of feel stripped bare and unnerved. I was unmoored. I didn't know why. Like there's this un off feeling, right? And I didn't have like language or awareness to know what that was. So for the rest of the, it kind of you carry it carries with you, and you know you get enough of these, and it, it you adjust how you behave at work as a woman, right? And at that time, there were also, you know, like most of the anchors were only men, right? Women had different kinds of assignments. You know, there were breakthrough cases, you know, Diane Sawyer and Katie Couric, but they were like one-offs more than regular. And I'll say just as a side note, if you look at TV today and you look at panel discussions on TV, very often you'll see older men and much younger women still. Yes, yes. Well, I live in L.A. too, so I see that all the time. (laughs) That's just life, right?
0: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post errands pick pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
6: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
3: So, okay. So I just want to talk a little bit because I know you won't, because I know you well enough about some of the interviews that you did when you were at CNN as the Capitol Hill correspondent, you, you interviewed Barack Obama, which is like, I just got the chills all over again, and Hillary Clinton, and Michelle Obama, Rahm Emanuel, John Boner. I mean, you've had some amazing experiences. That to me is really like, and you've spoken to these people and you've brought them into our homes, which I just find fascinating and so fulfilling. And and I want to hear, Jessica, what you think about what's going to happen in November. <laughs> we won't we won't hold you to it, but just based on I mean, you know so much more. Whenever, by the way, listeners, whenever I have a political question, because I, I will admit I'm not as up to date as I should be. I don't read every single thing. I'm on a couple of different news things, and I do listen to Jessica. But if I have something specific, I'll even just text her because she she knows she doesn't make you feel like an idiot when you ask her. And she explains it in a way that makes sense that you don't have to have, you know, a degree in political science to to get it. So what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Because I am very worried that I will start kind of believing the hype and feeling good about things. When Kamala was announced as his running, as Biden's running mate, I got really excited. It was like the first good thing that had happened in like six weeks. And I just am worried about putting too much hope into this because I don't want to have my hopes dashed. What do you think based on what you know? And I know you were on Bill Maher recently. Like, what's your thought?
5: I think your attitude is a good attitude. Nobody should believe this race is cooked. Nobody should believe anything's set. Um, Enormous amount can change between now and election day. The numbers are these. Biden has had a steady lead since March, right? So his lead has been strong and not volatile. That doesn't mean things couldn't change in the end. Things changed in the end for Hillary Clinton, and it's all about two categories. And this sounds self evident, but it's worth saying. There's swing voters who are the people who voted for Trump in twenty sixteen but are on the cusp and might be thinking, maybe I need to make a change and they can't necessarily decide. And then there's the question of will Democrats do a good enough job of turning out the people who lean to Biden but don't love voting? Like don't right. think voting is up to them. And it's a two pronged effort from the, you know, democratic campaign to And you can imagine the Trump team's trying to do the same. But so they're targeting white suburban women who overwhelmingly voted for Trump in 2016, but then voted for Nancy Pelosi to take over the House in 2018.
3: Okay, And And there are those people. That is a body of
5: voters. Huge numbers of people in that category. It's college educated white women who tend to vote Republican, but are deeply turned off. And this is numbers. This is not my point of view. This is just the numbers. Deeply turned off by what they view as the divisiveness Trump has created by his language that they see as racist. And they're worried about COVID and their kids going back to school and jobs. Got it. So those people are traditional Republican voters who are leaning Democrats. And the question is, many times their husbands vote Trump, and will they be swayed by their husbands in the end, or will they vote the way of their intuition right now? So the Biden campaign is working to help, or Democrats in general, are working to win those women over. And then there's this question of turning out the sometime voters. All right. Now
3: tell us about the voters of color. Or is that where you were going? I don't know. Okay. (laughs)
5: And then there's this other category, which is largely Latino voters, Latinx voters, who um, lean Democrat, but don't always vote. Um, there's And and driving up turnout among certain categories of voters of color, especially Black men. Black women are overwhelmingly pro-Democrat. The question is, will Black men come out for Biden in big numbers, um, or how big? So, and I, I always like to explain a little for a moment in that I'm sorry to overgeneralize audience is that way, but that is how we describe demographics in politics because that's how pollsters look at trends and they slice up the electorate by education, race and geography.
3: Well, no, that makes sense. I mean, I I get it. What do you think will happen? And again, it's as we get closer to it and when this airs, it will be even more of a moot point. But as the pandemic starts to ebb down, does that help Trump? I mean, again, as time goes by, no one in March thought that this was going to be going
5: on for as long as it has. That's an excellent question. And it goes to what are their cases for, real, for election, right? Joe Biden's making the case that America is off course. We aren't aligned with our mission of becoming a country that expands opportunity for all, where we try to work together and we're unified, right? And that he has a plan to get us back on track which is about COVID, which is about the economy, which is about school. It hits all those buckets. Um, the president is arguing that two things. his Under him, the economy was very strong before COVID. And even though it's like flatlining right now, trust him to get it back because he's a great businessman. So it's a two-step. And then, you know, driving out these kind of dark theories about biden being all sorts of you fill in the blank conspiracy theory right if you're upset about unrest in the streets if you're upset that you think protests are leading to looting to leading to violence well he's going to crack down and be tough and create a stable future the challenge with the president's case is he's arguing he's both the arsonist and the firefighter right (laughs) and that's why those swing voters are leaving him because they get that for biden the case is essentially like, do you want a path back to stability? And your question goes directly to that. If COVID were to vanish, if the economy were to surge, that case would be hard to make, right? Biden's case would be less appealing, but there's no sign that COVID is receding. In fact, Fauci has said, you know, brace for impact.
3: So you were on Bill Maher in September Tell us a little bit about that. You'd been on it before,
5: correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's First of all, it was amazing COVID-wise because yes. like back in the studio, it was like, I think the first studio in-person show to happen post-COVID, and um, they were serious. Like, everyone was masked. Every single person in the building was COVID-tested before showing. Oh, happened. yeah. No, no. I went to
3: a taping of VOMO that was on ABC last night, Voter miss Out, that Michelle Obama did with attention. Yep. Same thing, like I had to have a test before temperature, everyone was wearing a mask, all the talent wore a mask until they got on the stage and they were, it was a lot of stand-up comedians. I mean, it was crazy, but so, I felt I felt safer than I feel in my home because you know, I, some of my kids are out and whatever. So it was really a very, very well done.
5: I'm impressed, I'm really impressed, yeah. Um, it shows that we can, in theory, go back to work maybe with the right protocols in place, basically with enough testing. Yes. Um, but the show is always, like, you never know what to expect because it's not one of these shows where there's any rehearsal or planning. Like, they tell you a bunch of topics, and you prep the topics, and then you get on air, and then Bill asks you what he feel, what's on his mind. Right. And um, he
3: seems a little salty these days. Like, I feel like he's really making us all suffer for the fact that Hillary didn't win in 2016, that whole, like, we live in a bubble and everything's going to be okay. I- I feel like he's really like, no guys, you got, and he's, he's scoffing. He's, you know, he's bullying. It is, do you know him? Is that, is that for effect? Is that so that we go, oh, we better pay attention. We can't
5: be complacent. I think he's always salty, but I think he believes (laughs) I, mean, yeah. I do think he believes that. And I honestly think he's right. I mean, one of the things that happens is you get on set and you start at this conversation and it takes a direction. And then, like, after I was on the show, there were all these write-ups saying that the panelists were so confident that Biden's going to win. And Bill Maher was not having any of it. I'm not I'm not taking that posture. Like, that's not, A, what I said or what I believe. But, you know, it's like media. Things get spun. But he is taking this hard stance that he believes that we have to be, like, everyone's super wary. And he's worried, in addition, that Donald Trump is going to convince a lot of voters with his law and order message. He's going to scare enough voters to win them back. And that's where I was drawing a line because the numbers don't show that. Trump's okay. law and order message is working with some voters, but it's driving away others of his voters. So
3: and that- was your appearance before or after the Bob Woodward?
6: Right out
3: Right after. So this idea of I wanted to- Keep the peace and keep everyone calm was not actually resonating. I don't think even then.
5: So I mean, it's it's hard to say. Like I haven't seen it in the numbers Mm -hmm. at the point where we're taping this, but um, I mean, what I've found anecdotally is that a lot of the stuff that's coming out from the president's former staff that's quoting what he said to them, Bob Woodward even playing audio that the people who believe trump insist that's all fake news. They will say that it is doctored, they will say that they are liars, they will say that they have motives. There is this wall of resistance, right? They will say that it would that it was woodward's responsibility to say something.
2: <laughs> right?
5: All the, right? And so it's almost this fervor, it's a personality devotion that a lot of the president's faithful have. And so there's a willingness to ex- excuse or explain anything that doesn't match their vision. Um, And then obviously with, you know, democratic voters, you're preaching to the converted. The question is, is that moving votes? And, you know, we have this very small swing vote. Um, Is it moving votes? My guess is that rather than move votes, that kind of stuff energizes those sometime voters, people who lean Biden, but might sit on the couch they can hear that stuff and think, you know what? I'm getting off the couch and I'm going to fill in my mail in ballot.
3: Right. All right. So, Jessica, I have to ask you because I'm going to reveal my true ignorance here. I'm not sure I ever completely understood the Electoral College. I mean, I get it, but I don't get why we still have it, particularly after 2016. I think it may be outdated. I've heard people say that. Tell us. Tell our listeners, I mean, not super basic. Most of our listeners probably know what it is. But give us, you know, the dumbed-down version of the Electoral College and
5: why it still matters and why it's still in play. First of all, I love you for asking that because it is so good for really smart people like you to model asking questions. So many people are afraid to ask this stuff about civics because we're not taught this anymore. Right. Um, and I think most people don't actually really know that. So those, Electoral College is a really – messed up way that we ultimately choose our president. Um, There's a lot of people who think it should change, but this is how it works. Each state decides we're going to send a certain number of people, the electors, to a gathering, and they will decide who our president becomes, who is our president. Those electors chosen by each state ultimately decides the president. Those electors are picked after we all vote, and it could be constitutionally okay for the voters to not have a say in who those electors are or who they select, but the way it functionally works is each state decides its own rules for how we vote in our election. Um, We cast our votes as citizens, right? and those add up to a certain number of votes in the state. Each state has a set number of electors. Based on how our popular vote in the state works out, those electors are charged with either voting partially for one candidate, partially for other, or some states say winner take all. Doesn't matter what the popular vote breakdown is. If anybody wins even by one vote in the state, they get all the electors. Now. This is a really messed up system because it's not one person, one vote. It right. means that certain states where there's a ton of residents, like California, all our votes only add up to a certain number of electors. But another state, like Montana, which has way, way, way fewer citizens, residents. right, so gets a huge say in the electoral college with their electors. And it means that rural states with less population are weighted heavier in a way in having a say in who the president is than super populous urban states. Now, why right. is that? Our founders were farmers, agrarian, and they thought farmers need to have a big say so, not, so the cities don't have all the control. The farming people also have a big say in who the president is. Draw that out, you know, many years later, and it looks super unequal. And it, it pans out that too, very often, rural, more rural states are red, more urban states are blue. And by that, I mean states that have urban centers. And so red states end up getting slightly more weight in the Electoral College than blue states. That means that Hillary Clinton can win the popular vote in 2016, but not win the election. Same with Al Gore. And it could be the case again.
3: And how, is is it antiquated? Does it still make sense? Why do we still need this? Again, if I'm not a farmer, do we, and is there, and I'm not, um, is there some way of either doing away with it completely, because we do have the capabilities, whether or not it ends up happening this way, of being able to say one person, one vote, and count them and, and, and keep track of them, or even kind of rejiggering it so that it makes a little bit more sense
5: in 2020, which is very different from when they came up with the Electoral College. So old me at CNN and ABC and NBC would be like, I'm just a reporter. I don't take a position. The Electoral College is what it is. New me is like, hell yeah. Like, this don't make sense. We need to change it. But that's a whole process. That's, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. And we have this problem, which is we all get obsessed with the Electoral College right before every presidential election. And, and we forget about it again afterwards. Right?
3: And for sure, if Biden wins, we're going to forget it. Ah, the Electoral College, it didn't bother anything here. It'll be fine. Right.
5: And changing wow. the Electoral College is a multi-year process. And you need dedication and time commitment. And people need to stay focused on that after the election if they want change. What we need to focus on before the election, because let's just agree that's a problem we can't solve right now, the Electoral College, is how do we ensure that all the votes are counted, that the vote is not suppressed? Um, and that the system works well. And can I just say a few words on that? Please. We have to be prepared for a lot of confusion on election day. We have to be prepared for the possibility that we won't know who the president is, not just on election day, but for days, maybe even weeks after. I'm not saying that's for sure going to happen. I'm saying put in your head that's a possible scenario and that maybe somebody will declare themselves reelected even before the result is known. Somebody might Mm -hmm. declare themselves (laughs) reelected. And if that happens, people have to remember the vote isn't counted until each state declares its own winners. The states decide what their own count looks like. Okay. The other thing on election day is there could be extremely long lines and people need to know if you show up in the polling hours, by law, they cannot kick you out or close the doors and make you not vote.
3: So hang out. They can't just say. Okay, that is very good to know. And I I have another question actually about that. This year we've seen so much about uh, voting by mail and and the U.S. Postal Service. Why is that coming up so much this year? Because people know that it's going to be difficult to go to polls, whether it's pandemic, whether it's getting there, whether it's voter suppression. And so they're trying to vote by mail. And as a result of that, we're having problems with the U.S. Postal Service or is there more? Is there something I missed? There's
5: more. So- the first part is correct that because of Covid, people know that there's going to be anxiety about voting in person. So there's been a big push by uh, uh, elected officials to expand mail-in voting, make sure more people can vote at home from their home. Um, and that was just a neutral nonpartisan effort to keep people safe. But the president, decided to problematize mail-in voting. The president went on Twitter and TV and has been saying for months that mail-in voting is more susceptible to fraud. I'm telling you as a journalist who's looked at the data and interviewed so many people on this, there's less, there's no evidence of that. Mail-in voting is not more susceptible to fraud or susceptible to fraud. Like Fraud is like point oh 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 one percent or something with the mail-in ballot, um, but he's made it an issue. At the same time, They put a new guy, President Trump put a new guy in charge of the Postal Service, has no experience in working in government. And he did an extreme slowdown of the mail by shutting down machines, removing mailboxes, doing all these weird things that he's saying is meant to save them money. But what it's effectively done is slowed down delivery of the mail. And so this immediately set off alarms, like will mail and ballots get out to people in time? And will they get back in time? And will they get lost? And will they get processed? And what's going on? And so now there's a lot of noise around the mail and there's concern that people are gonna be panicked that mail isn't a secure way to vote. What I'm going to do when I get my mail-in ballot is I'm going to fill it out in person, like I'm gonna fill it out at home and then I'm gonna look up where my nearest polling place is because in California they open a couple weeks early and I'm gonna put on my mask and put on some gloves and face shield if you don't feel comfortable and I'm gonna drive there and hand it in in person I'm going to take a picture of myself handing it in, and I'm going to post that on social media. That's awesome. I love that.
3: That Did you guys hear that? That is a very good idea. I think this year we have to be thinking a little bit outside of the box because it's really important. And you know, I've seen all kinds of things calling for people, young people, because I don't know about you, Jessica, but every time I've ever been to my polling place. And I usually go in person because I like to take my kids and it makes me feel good and I get this sticker and then I get to make everybody at the office feel shitty all day if they didn't vote. And I'll be like, you guys go early, go vote, whatever. But everybody that works at those polling places is over like 90. I mean, so, and those are the people that we really do have to worry about with COVID. And so I've been reading a lot about how they may not be able to come out. And so what I've also seen is that a lot of the local high schools are going out to kids and saying, hey, you guys, you're healthy, you're safe, you can do this, you can't even vote yet. But if there's something you want to help with, you want to help in this election. I'm being un- bipartisan here. You can, whoever you want to be supporting, but if it's important to be there, then make sure that you'll actually end up voting. And so these kids are coming out and they're doing it. And I think it's really cool and really exciting. I, I love that.
5: I totally, there's a place called, you can go to at Power the Polls, and they can get anybody listening information on how you can be a poll worker. And you- a pollster? Is it a pollster or is it a poll worker? A pollster is something else, right? Oh, that they don't call it. Pollsters measure. Yeah, they do polling. Right. Poll worker right. are the people who go to the polling places and like check you in. Or, or work in a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
3: I'm a poll worker. My dad would be like, you're what? <laughs> One poll by night, a different by day. Exactly. If you're free during the days of the of the election and you're working the poll at night, we'd like to invite you to come work the poll during the day. Please.
5: As a boss, will you be giving people time off on election day to vote?
3: Totally. I always do. Now I'll never know because they're home in, in front of their computers <laughs> anyway. So
5: it's fine
3: with me. Go, Please go vote.
0: <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire
1: At purdueglobal.edu.
3: This is all Fair with Laura Wasser on iHeart and brought to you by It's Over Easy. It's Over Easy is our online divorce service, and we know divorce is never really over easy, but it doesn't have to bankrupt you or destroy your family, and neither do politics. Maybe they do. I'm not sure about that, which is what we're speaking about today. Our relationship with our leaders and the process by which we elect them is at best fraught with emotion, and at worst, it can be absolutely soul-crushing. I know there's family members I have that I don't even talk to anymore. Our show isn't a substitute for therapy, but if the election ahead is causing you or anyone you know anxiety, keep listening. Our guest today is award-winning political journalist Jessica Yellen, who's covered Capitol Hill, domestic politics, and national elections, which is why I wanted her to come so that she can tell us how all this shit works. We're speaking today about navigating the news on traditional and social media and how to keep your cool as we head toward the presidential election. Jessica, your media company News Not Noise is devoted to providing fact based news in small bites and easy to understand ways, not panic. And tell us some advice for people
5: listening how we can avoid freaking out as we get closer to the election. <laughs> That's a big topic. Uh, so, one thing I do is um, on Instagram is I try to, I think that the news landscape is so noisy, people get overwhelmed and just like tune it out. Or become obsessive, sit there, and then can't sleep after watching hours of this stuff. So I try to isolate specific stories that you need to know and explain them clearly and calmly and short so that you get what you need without a panic attack, as you said. I give advice on having a news diet in general, which is like you want to be informed, but you don't want to be living in this state of fight or flight just because of what's going on in Washington, right? Right, so, what I, I give a few tips. One is decide times of day that you will check the news and be kind of pretty disciplined about that. Like maybe it's nine a.m. and five p.m. But don't then. You don't need to get like your breaking news every hour. Turn off notifications. I, Jessica, need to know every minute that something's breaking. Let me <laughs> be your frontline filter. You turn that off. You just don't. Need- okay. Like, what does it matter if you find out that Trump said this crazy thing at two p.m. in the middle of your meeting? Or if you right. wait till five, it won't change your day. It'll only change your heart rate. Right. Pick a few sources that you look at and try to limit it so that you're not down a rabbit hole. Like it's so easy to all of a sudden be looking at. And then all of a sudden you're reading some. I do this and I'm reading some article and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know this. And you look up and you're like, this is a <laughs> website. Like, What am I doing? Um, and this is A very new age thing that you will appreciate, but maybe some of your listeners in the rest of the country will find strange. But when I'm done with a news story, when I'm done with that, my news break and I put my phone down, I literally take a minute and close my eyes and remember that's the news. That's not me. Right. That's their life, not my life. I can separate emotionally from it a little from that. And it creates this like, stop this moat so that you don't get immediately swept into the drama of the awful things that are happening.
3: I like that. And by the way, the news media doesn't want you to do that. They want you to get sucked in. They want you to become addicted. And they want you to feel, I mean, you can still feel invested in what's going to happen in our country politically without feeling, because I, I do know people that have gone into deep, deep depressions, went into them after 2016. I can see them kind of scrambling around now, and I, I worry for what will happen if Trump is reelected, because I can see, I mean, these are the people I know, because I can see where that will go. That will be a serious, the anxiety that's produced now that could lead to the depression, I, I, I do worry about these people a lot.
5: It's funny. I spend a lot of my day DMing with my audience and some of them are these swing voting women, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are these people you're talking about who are living in this frenzy, you know, panic. And they're like, I've turned off all the news. You're the only thing I watch, but please tell me, please tell me everything. <laughs> and you just like, I literally tell him, take off your shoes, go walk in some grass, like right. help find things that ground you, touch soil, like literally touching the earth sometimes grounds you. I know that sounds No, But I do. What I'm saying is like we're living in a high stress time with covid and the news. If you think the news is panicking you, it is. Don't judge yourself for it. Find off ramps.
3: And are we at risk? I mean, again, if we only had a couple of these small bite choice things and which will likely be the things that best kind of represent where we feel about politics, Are we missing out? Are we blind are wearing blinders if we're not watching Fox News and not seeing how the other half lives? Or is that safe
5: enough? I advise that people have multiple news sources in their life so that you're not getting your news only from one POV. It helps you have a broader lens. But that doesn't mean take in everything, right? So if you, like the New York Times, also read the Wall Street Journal, right? They're not that far apart, but they do have slightly different tastes. Um, If you're online, pick three sources you like and just make sure they're all covering similar stories in similar ways or if there's differences, you understand them. These days, I also advise following Instagram and Facebook or whatever your social life is where you live, follow accounts that differ with your point of view so that you're seeing how the other side is talking. Now, some people find that so panic-inducing they can't. And so judge your own like anxiety level. But I like to have a diversity so you see what's out there.
3: I think that's wise. I do.
5: Um, Yeah. All
3: right. So again, guys, between now and the election, you really, really must follow at Jessica Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N. She's been doing this since 2017 in this media construct, and it works. And she says, the goal is to give you information, not a panic attack. Also, and again, we're not signing off yet, but I just, I have to plug it because if it's all getting it to be a little bit too much for you, I definitely recommend Savage News. And I just want to say... Amy Schumer said, Jessica Yellen is the clear, honest voice of our generation. But then even better, Ariana Huffington said, if the devil wears Prada and broadcast news had a love child, it would be this hilarious satire of the Washington Circus. And it's totally true. And it will give you a little disconnect from everything that's going on. It's funny. It's heart-wrenching. I just loved it. And I loved it because I know you too, but I think I'd love it even if I didn't. Okay, so Jess, you're also an ambassador for the nonprofit, nonpartisan MediaWise Voter Project. What's their
5: stance on navigating digital information? So they offer some really constructive tools to help you understand what's real and what's not. Because we are saturated with propaganda and disinformation on social media. I am inundated all day with questions about, is this true? Is this not true? Especially with all this QAnon stuff going on and save the children and people thinking that like there's mass sex trafficking, but there's absolutely no source for this. You know, where are you? What's the original source that's driving this? People don't have an answer. So when you are getting information forwarded to you on Facebook or on any outlet from your family member, you're not sure, here are a couple of basic steps. One, look at the original source. Like I said, sometimes I'll read an article and then look up and see it's from some random blog I've never heard of. Question that. What is that source's motivation for sharing this? Go to their homepage, check the about button, see what their mission statement is. If none of that exists, question whether this is true. So check the source and what's their motivation, one. Two, see if other reliable outlets are reporting on the same thing and see if it's in a similar way or a different way and check what the nuance is. If you only see something explosive from one source and you're not seeing it all over the media, media is copycats, media is desperate to get on a hot story. If you're seeing a hot story, no one else is on it, you gotta question that. And number three is, So that means have like different sources in your diet, right? And number three is like, look at where this is coming from and see if the reporter, it's that reporter themselves shares their social media account, shares a handle, a way for you to access this information and access them directly. Um, And if there are original materials, is there a video? Is there a document? It's what you do. You wouldn't go to court without some like evidence.
3: Okay. I mean, I like that. It makes me feel better. And then I can check in with you, find out if it makes sense. I can DM you. I didn't even know I could do that. That's so cool. I just, I feel like your profession, news media particularly, has changed so much in the last 25, 50 years. I mean, there's so much more information and misinformation out there. And I'm so happy to be able to like, check in with you, get kind of, because it's just what ends up happening, I think, to a lot of people is we just put our heads in the sand. We don't want to hear it at all. It's too confusing. It's too depressing. It's too anxiety producing. But where that leads is then a complete like closed offness, which then does end up with not voting, not participating, not staying in the loop. And like I said, the what, what I've learned through this pandemic is that there's equal doses of anxiety and depression that so many people are experiencing. And this issue with regard to politics and this 2020 election
5: is right in the eye of that storm. It's definitely accelerating people's anxiety and panic. And it's a difficult thing. It's like, you can't detach entirely, you have to engage. But like, we're talking about, let's find ways to engage that are constructive and healthy and balanced. And part of that is finding the sources and part of that is knowing when to dismiss crazy disinformation because it is also a pandemic right now. Mm -hmm. And we have to all empower ourselves to make judgments and say, this crazy thing that's coming to me, I'm not forwarding that on. Right.
3: I like that. And I like the idea of having a news diet Mm -hmm. because God knows I haven't had any other kind of a diet in the past (laughs) six months. So A news diet I could probably handle. All right, Jessica, as a journalist, you ask questions. And as a lawyer, we have a formalized method we use in the discovery phase of litigation, and they're called interrogatories. And we've adapted this tool for our show, and it commences with me swearing you in. So, Jessica, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact?
5: I have to say it was my dad. Um, My dad, you knew him, I think, a little bit. He died. Ira. Ira. He died uh, in 2002. Um, But he always told me, uh, be true to yourself. Whenever I had any kind of crisis as a kid or decision making as an adult, the advice he gave me was go silent, go inside and figure out what is your truth and follow that. And so I've made a lot of conventional choices in my life, but I also have done crazy things like moving to Orlando when no one I know lived there and everyone thought it was nuts or leaving CNN and doing Instagram on my iPhone news. <laughs> and the only reason I keep following that is because he told me this, be true to yourself. And it's working. That's the other reason.
3: Well, what's your
5: favorite love song? Uh, so they're both by Brian Ferry. Can I say two? You can say two. Okay. I'll let you. <laughs> One is Slave to Love. Uh-huh. And the other is To Turn You On, which both sound like sex songs, but they're actually love songs. <laughs> I know them both. I actually saw him. What's the theater
3: called that's on um, the at the Wiltern? Was it at the Wiltern? And it was before they took the seats out, believe it or not, at the Wiltern Theater. I saw Brian Ferry. It had to
5: be like the late 90s, maybe. Oh my God. So awesome. magic! I used to yes. fantasize. I was sure I'd marry some British man named Michael who always somehow wore a tuxedo where the bow tie was untied. I don't know who was a high schooler. I don't know why this guy I was going to marry was always in an untied bow tie tuxedo. Michael, where are you? Maybe he was a waiter. Looking. <laughs> he worked at Dantana's. <laughs> I keep looking in the right place.
3: Okay, what is the one piece of advice that you would share with your 20-something-year-old
5: self? It's what I was saying earlier, which is, like, get true, know what you want, ask for it, and then do what you're asked as long as it aligns with your integrity. I wish I had like a motto quick way to say that, but it's really like, make it clear what your goal is and then do the work to get there, even if it's not what you dream of doing.
3: Have you ever been, had you been ever asked to do something that didn't align with your integrity? Yes. Have those lines of integrity changed as you got older and stayed
5: in the business? Have the the goalposts moved at all? I moved the goalposts all the time when I was, I mean, when you're ambitious and you're working in an environment, mm. you adapt to the environment to do what it takes to succeed, right? And sometimes it doesn't always feel great. And sometimes you just do it. And then you hit up against a thing where you're like, yeah, I actually can't go further. I can't. Okay. And um, you risk, especially as a woman being called difficult mm-hmm. or tough. Uh, and I've been called difficult and tough. And um, I guess. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm at home doing news on my iPhone, but I do what I (laughs) believe is true. And um, that aligns for me. I like that. All right. Which romantic comedy could you watch on repeat?
3: Sliding doors. Love. We don't get that one a lot, do we, Johnny? No.
5: That's a good one though.
3: And it really makes sense, particularly now when just one little thing
5: could kind of shift everything, huh? And you also feel like maybe there are multiple versions of what could be happening at the same time. And you're like, how do I pivot into the one that works for me? How right, do I get into right. The alternate universe. I love
3: it, Jessica. I think everyone listening now knows that there's no reason to panic over the upcoming election. You've been very informative and calming. So thank you so much for joining us on All's Fair. You guys, Jessica's book Savage News is available on Amazon and all your favorite booksellers, and you can get exclusive digestible news you can trust on her Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Jessica Yellen. And Jessica, also tell everyone where they
5: can find you online, please. You can follow me on Instagram at Jessica Yellen, Jessica, Y-E-L-L-I-N. I do a daily news report on video and post all sorts of news updates that are broken down real simply every day.
3: Anybody that has ever felt like you were kind of playing above the rim when you're reading or watching certain news things, go to Jessica. It's not news for dummies. It's news for smart people who may not be... As schooled or as uh, fluent in that lingo, and it's just—I'm telling you—you'll feel good. Talk about a news diet. This is like leafy greens <laughs> for the for the for your soul. Thank you. You're such a rock star. <laughs> thank you for coming on today. Yes, we loved you having Jessica. you.
4: Yeah, great to see you.
3: <laughs> I Jessica's amazing. I, she's always been amazing. She's so smart. She's so funny. I'll also tell you something. She's she's little. She's even littler than me. But she gave me a ride somewhere once a couple of years ago. On her I back? No, it was, it was, <laughs> no, was, it was a Prius. I get in the Prius and we're driving. And, you know, she's so bright and whatever. And then all of a sudden <laughs> she starts her radio. And it is just the heaviest, most hardcore rap music I've ever heard. Loud. Like she must have been listening to it on the way to wherever we were coming from. Right. It was hilarious. I'll, I'll, I can never see her without thinking about that. I can't believe I forgot to mention it. I mean, as the election looms, everybody has an opinion, and there's so many voices out there. But remember, you have a choice, and when you make a choice, you also choose the consequences. So lots to think about, but don't let the anxiety overtake you. Please vote. Stay in this conversation.
4: If you're new to our show, we're psyched you're here. And if you haven't already subscribed, tap that app, so you'll be the first to know when fresh episodes of All Fair drop. And before you go, let us know what you think about today's show, and rate us at Apple Podcasts.
3: You can also ask us anything at It's Over Easy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or leave a comment on our Insights blog, and we'll discuss it here on All's Fair with Laura Wasser. That's me. See you next Tuesday, and in case you didn't hear me, vote on November 3rd. Vote like your life depends on it, baby, because it well may.